0: Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. Thank you guys. You may be seated. Well, I am excited to be here this morning. My name is Brian Beasley, as he said. I am from a ministry called The Ramp. How many have ever heard of The Ramp before? Let me see your hands. All right. All right. How many have never heard of The Ramp before? Let me see your hands. Anyone at all? It's all right. Just one young kid. He's about seven. All right. <laughs> You can come to our kids' ramp any time, and you let me know when you're there. Well, I am honored to be here. As I said, uh, I am one of the staff pastors at the ramp, uh, one a part of the executive leadership as well, uh, serves along with Miss Karen there. I've been there for over 10 years, uh, which is shocking because I've almost lived most of my life there than I have anywhere else. Uh, God has moved me around a couple of times, and so Hamilton is now my home. I am married to my lovely wife, Elise, who is here on the front row, and she is holding our three-month-old baby daughter London Elizabeth everybody say all so she is precious and beautiful, and you can see her after service, and uh, she'll smile at you and coo and ca. And then uh, my younger, my older, my only begotten son, I guess we could say, uh, my only son, uh, he's the oldest son, and he is two, and he is with my brother and my sister in Columbus, Georgia right now. And so unfortunately, he wasn't able to come, but uh, he definitely is a miracle. Maybe I'll tell his testimony a uh, little towards the end of the sermon here. Well, I'm excited! Amen! Amen. I love the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Let me tell you something, I believe, let me, let me, let me just, and this is not even my sermon, but let me just preface some things. I believe in prophets, amen. I believe in they get the gift of prophecy, say amen. I believe in the revelatory realm, I believe in dreams, I believe in visions, but none of that was meant to replace the B-I-B-L-E. This book is powerful. This book, if you get it inside of you, will change everything. You can have struggles out the wazoo, but just start reading your Bible. But David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. This thing is a sin overcomer. This thing is a life overcomer. This thing will bless you financially. This thing will open doors for you. This thing will deliver you. This thing will wash you. It's amazing. You need to get in this book. Can I get an amen? So I want to I talk today. I am an evangelist. My heart is for evangelism, uh, and, and my heart is also to equip the saints for the work of evangelism. You know, God says something interesting in Ephesians 4. He said, I've given the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, Pastors and teachers what we call the five-fold ministry gifts of Christ amazing giftings amazing anointings It's amazing to watch people operating those anointings. I mean, we just we have so many wonderful leaders within the body of Christ however Their job their main function according to that scripture you know was not to do what we think they're called to do. You know, an apostle, all right, just go plant churches and you do your thing and we'll just support you and send you money monthly and, and just let you do that. You know, a prophet, you just prophesy to all of us. You know, a teacher, you just teach us. And pastor, you just pastor us. And an evangelist, let's just bring him in once a year and get all the, the lost saved because we're not doing anything else the other 364 days of the year. So let's just do that. But that's not what the Bible says. It said God gave those for the equipping of the saints. For the work of the ministry. It's amazing to me that my primary function is not just to win the lost to Jesus, but it's to teach you how to win the lost for Jesus. See, I can, <clears throat> I can catch you a fish and you can eat for a day, or I can teach you to fish and you can eat the rest of your life. And let me tell you something, God wants you to be effective the rest of your life. And even the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he said the Lord, he's not long suffering concerning his promise. What is his promise? Of coming back. He's not long, he, he, he knows this, he's given that promise, but he said the reason he's not come back yet is because there are people that are perishing and need repentance, and he said, I'm, I'm waiting for a harvest to be gathered like never before, even Romans 12 talking about the ingathering of the Gentiles, I'm just like, man, this Bible's chock full of promises of souls that God wants to save, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me, can I get amen? amen. Let's go in our Bibles, to second Corinthians, turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 2 and 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version, 2 Corinthians 3 2 through (coughs) 3. Clear my throat here. Living epistles. Let's talk about this today. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Pay attention to that. You are our epistle, written in our hearts. What's going on with that? You're known and you're read by all men. People are reading your life. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. You want to underline that in your Bible. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. It's amazing to me. That Paul is, is writing this, and he, and he starts off, you know, you are our epistles. You know, God sent us to you, and, 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 and you are our epistle. And then, and then he goes on and says, you're known and read by all men. And then he says, you are an epistle of Christ. And you're going, yeah, yeah, that's it. What, what's an epistle? <laughs> Anybody thought that when you re- heard that? Like, yeah, what's that? What's an epistle? Epistle simply means this. It's a letter written to someone. That's all it meant. An epistle is a letter written to someone, which tells us what? If we are epistles of Christ, known and read by all men, we are a letter that Jesus wrote to the world. Your life is a letter that Jesus is writing, communicating to the world who he is. We see this with Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the... Okay, I got, I'm an interactive preacher. It's amen or Owe oh me. Uh, you can throw a shoe. You can answer it off call, it, whatever. I'm all right. So everybody say amen. amen. Everybody get one up. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Point at yourself and say, he's talking to me. All right. So your letter, and Christ is writing a letter, and he's wanting the world to read your life. Actually, a man in the 1800s, D.O. Moody quoted it, but a man actually coined the phrase. He said, be careful how you live. Because you might be the only Bible some people ever read. Be careful how you live because you might be the only Bible some people ever read. And my question this morning to Cornerstone is what are they reading through your life? When someone sees your life What is that letter from Christ saying? Oh, I'm going to go into it. I'm going to give scriptures. I'm going to read the B-I-B-L-E. It's going to be wonderful this morning. If nobody, I'm going to lay hands on myself, go out in the spirit and give myself an offering. Amen. Because I want to be an epistle for Christ. I want to be a letter that is known and read by all men. And I'm going to tell you what that letter needs to say. Before I get into that, I need to set a foundation here. Our lives, the message of our lives that Christ is wanting to write on us, this is birth, and this is created from our view of who we believe God to be. Now, this is a problem this is a problem because we've got a lot of weird theology floating out there theology simply means the study of God we've got a lot of weird beliefs that are floating out of there and unless you get rooted and grounded in the book yourself and find out for yourself who God is you can have a wrong conception of God so let me help you with this theology one on one. you ready God is good the devil is bad Everybody, look at your neighbor and say, God is good, and say the devil is bad. How do I know this? John 10 10. Jesus said, The thief comes not, but to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's got a threefold purpose for your life to steal, kill, and destroy. Isn't that encouraging? That's his only purpose for you. He has no other intention. Even when Jesus was calling him out in John 8, he said he was a murderer from the beginning. What was he saying? Adam's fall was not just about transgression, and it wasn't just about eating an apple or whatever fruit he ate. No, the fall was about being a murderer. I'm going to take out the very people that are made in God's image and likeness. Satan is a murderer. He is not telling you anything good. He is not feeding with you anything except to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. That's it. And then Jesus draws a line in the sand. This is Satan. Let me tell you about me. But I have come. To give you life and life more abundantly. A line has been drawn in the sand, and Jesus said, This is the devil, this is me. Jesus said, Peter said in Acts 10, he said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and a power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus didn't go around vandalizing, <laughs> he didn't go around breaking windows and say, Don't tell anybody. Yeah, let's go heal the sick. You know what I mean? Jesus, he you know, he wasn't backwards country boy. They didn't know, didn't know what he was doing. No, he went about doing good. Why? Because God is good. The devil is bad. If that is true, then the next statement has to be true, which is this. Everything good then in your life that comes to your life is from God. Everything bad in your life that comes to your life is from Satan. So we say... I got cancer. And you got some people walk around and they say, Well, I guess God's trying to teach me something. Where did you read that? Who told you that? Who told you cancer was from God? Who told you, Listen, I've got a book to help me get closer to God. I don't need cancer. I've got the spirit of the living God dwelling on the inside of me. Do you not know you're the temple of the Holy Ghost? I don't need some kind of sickness to help me get closer to God. And if we really believe sickness helped us get closer to God, why don't we start giving altar calls for it? If you want to get closer to God, we're going to. We got There's a cancer anointing here this morning. We'd all hit the exit and we'd say, I'm never going back to that church again a day in my life. Why? It's not even logical. Yeah, you can't walk in a nursing home and tell me any of that's God. I know. I know, I've had family in nursing homes. I, my mom worked in nursing home. You walk in it, and you're just seeing people that have lost their mind, people that are just so sick, and all this kind of stuff. Well, God's will be done. Well, I don't know the God you're serving. But Jesus said, if we pray, his kingdom will come, his will will be done. What's his will? On earth as it is in? Let me tell you something. There's no cancer up in there. There ain't no demons out hiding behind clouds up there. There's no darkness, not even a shadow of dark. Let me tell you something. God is good all the time, and the devil is bad all the time. And let me tell you something. God is good and wants to do good to your life. I remember years ago, my brother was backslidden. He was he was away from the Lord. And I was with the pastor. And thank God for pastors. Well, let's just thank God for pastors. Amen. Because evangelists, we're just black and white. We're to get right or get out. You know what I mean? Pastors, they patient, loving people. Thank God for pastors, because I needed one. And here I'm in the car, and my brother is living in sin. And I say a dumb statement. I said, I said, Pastor, sometimes I just, I just, maybe, I just wish maybe God put my brother in a car wreck to wake him up. Now, my statement, I wasn't wishing harm on him. I was just wishing for a wake-up call, so maybe he'd get right with God. And that pastor just patiently listened to me. And he goes, instead of praying for that, Brian, why don't you pray for the goodness of God on his life for the goodness of God? And then he quotes Romans: for the goodness of God leads to repentance. You know what God wants to do? God wants to bless the socks off this world. You know why? Because He's just trying to tell them, "I am a good God." Judgments come into this city and that city. And you know, I don't, I don't know what Bible you are reading, man. The cross mattered. The wrath of God was swallowed up in Christ. Let me tell you something. God's pouring blessings. He said through Abraham, in you, through you, all the nations will be blessed. Abraham broke the curse through Christ. Let me tell you something. God's wanting to bless the earth. Why? Because he's trying to tell the world, hey, I'm a good God. Amen. We got to change the way we think about who our God is so people can go, I want that. You know, and I already hear it. What about the Old Testament, Brian? That's what, that's what people, what about the Old Testament? God's, he was real schizophrenic back then. You know what I mean? One day he's going to bless you, next day he'll kill you. You know, don't get on God's bad side. Let me tell you about the Old Testament. When the Old Testament was translated, there were two types of verbs. There was a causative tense verb, and there was a permissive tense verb. A causative tense verb just simply meant the person that was doing it. They were the cause of it. This happened, judgment came, and they were the cause of it. Then the other word meant they permitted it. They didn't do it. They just allowed it. Did you know every time it says something negative about God in the Old Testament, the translators failed to translate it right? And it wasn't that God did it every time. It was that God permitted it. And the only reason he permitted it was simply because the cross hadn't happened yet. No, let me tell you something. From Genesis to Revelation, God is good. Let me tell you something. In Noah's flood, God is good. Let me tell you something. In every part of the Bible, God is good. You know, Jeremiah is prophesying in the beginning of his book. He's saying judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. These people have been unfaithful. They're chasing after other idols. And then uh, judgment didn't come for a long time. He spent 30-something chapters telling them to repent. God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is merciful. I believe in deathbed salvations. I don't care if they were a blasphemer. I don't care what they did all their life. I don't care if they ran a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. If they were on their dying bed and called on the name of the Lord, Jesus showed up right there and said, I accept you. Amen. Amen. That's why we're not God. Because if we were God, a lot of people would be going to hell. Isn't that right? Doomed doomed, ah, my like, you're okay, all right, doomed, you know, thank God we're not God. <laughs> God is merciful, can I get an amen? David said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Where, David? In the land of the living. Gosh, God is good. And, and in David's declaration in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, a lot of people walk around, surely calamity and trouble is going to follow me. I'm just like, get away from me. God bless you. Hope it works out for you. No, David, in an old covenant said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? He had a revelation of a good God. God. He had a revelation of a God that said, this is who I am. And he believed in his nature and character. And when we firmly stand on this foundation, now we can begin to preach a message to a lost and dying world and to the church. And let me tell you what those messages are. So these are messages our lives should be preaching. Number one, first message. My letter of my life from Christ should be saying, and this message is written to the world, to the lost, to the unbelievers. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. What is he saying? We implore you. That word implore means to beg, to plead. We implore you on Christ's behalf. What? Be reconciled to God. What is reconciliation? It simply means this, to change your status with someone. It means to go from an enemy to a friend. And let me tell you something, God on his end has secured it all up. God put judgment on Christ. See, God judged your sin past, present, and future. Why? How can God forgive my future sin? Well, all your sin was futuristic 2,000 years ago. I don't believe God forgives future sin. No, you, you don't understand. It was 2,000 years ago when God did it. All you had to do was to, to come into the covenant, was what? He said, How, What must I do to be saved? He said, Believe on Jesus. That's it. People are belief away. Pastor John was talking about it earlier. He sees a light come on in people's eyes. What happened? They were sitting in their seats. They believed. Acts chapter 10 Peter in the middle of a sermon preaching to a bunch of unbelievers. They all get filled with the Holy Ghost. Wait a second. I thought you couldn't get filled with the Holy Ghost till you believed. Well, somewhere in the middle of the sermon, a light came on. And they said, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God said, now that's the prerequisite for the Holy Ghost. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Before he even got done with the sermon, God just showed up. Peter just sat down and said, I had nobody to preach to. They all just got filled with the Holy Ghost. And then finally, when they got done speaking in tongues, we just took them the, to the pool and started baptizing people. Talk about the move of God. And that's why we're here today, because thank God for Cornelius, and the vision that Peter had to lead into that. What is your life telling the lost? When people read your life, are they seeing God's mad at me? Man, those Christians, they're just angry. they just, man, God's out to get me. He's just on his throne. If I mess up one more time, he's going to send a lightning bolt and destroy us all. Or are they look at your life and go, man, it don't matter how much I screw up, they love me. It don't matter how many times I stray, they love me. I, I don't understand it. You know, God continually in the, in the book of Hosea, he is just chasing after his people. He will not quit pursuing his people. And if Jesus died for the world, and he did, he is pursuing people, and he wants to pursue them through your life. And when people look at Brian Beasley, I ain't even got to preach to them. All of a sudden, they start reading a letter. Oh, my goodness. He loves me that much. I'll never forget. I was in college, UT Knoxville. And I had a, I was in uh, engineering, and I had a, a, a group. They put us in groups to where we would have to do projects and things like that. One of the guys in my group was a homosexual. His name was Aaron. And Aaron was just, just, just out, homosexual, just, just living in sin. And one day I came to class, and I got my book bag, and I come to class, and we're ready to do something. And Aaron Cusses me out. I'm talking about one up one end down the other. I'm talking about openly in front of everybody. You blankety blank blank. You always preaching to me. You always this and that. Blankety blank blank. And I'm just taking, I'm just, I'm just in awe. You know what I mean? I'm just like, what's going on here? He gets done. He walks out. And I, you know what I thought? I have never, the entire time I've known Aaron, ever opened the Bible to him and ever witnessed to him. Never one time. I never told him my testimony. I never witnessed to him, and the Holy Ghost whispered to me. He goes, my, 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 your life is preaching real loud. What was my life saying? I was a constant letter in his face saying, Jesus died for you. He is not liking this lifestyle, but he will rescue you from it. And my life, every day I came into encounter with Aaron was preaching so loud. And let me tell you something. We are a letter to the world declaring to them, you no longer need to be his enemy. You can be his friend, and God made provision for this, and all you have to do is believe. Can I get an amen? Number two, the second message your life should be preaching, and this is mainly a message to the church. You ready for this one? I love it, I love it, I love it. Be holy, for God is holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. This is a struggle. It's a struggle for Christians. Be holy, for God is holy. What does holiness mean? It just simply means live a separated life. If I look like the world, dress like the world, talk like the world, listen to what the world listens to, watches what the world listens to. Let me tell you something. I am no different. There is no distinguishing mark in my life that is letting people know God is a holy God. Now, I'm not talking about be a hermit and get long hair and wear long. Please, please don't do that. Please wear makeup. Amen. Please. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about let's go to old school, Pentecostal ways, and, and never get out in society, and we never go to football game. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about be different. Don't participate in sin. Don't participate in compromise. Know the Holy Ghost. He is inside of you telling you yes or no. See, ain't no Christian ever sinned without Holy Ghost first going, eh, you know better, you know. Well, I just, I, just, I just stumbled into sin. No, you didn't. You fought the Holy Ghost. You fought the Holy Ghost. He was going, eh, eh. I'm about to go over here and do this. You an idiot. No, no he didn't say that. I promise he didn't say that. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. What, what is it? What he, said, he said, those who, who what did he say? He said, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what that means? It means live under the direction of the Holy Ghost. He said, "If you just follow the Holy Ghost every time, you can go years without sinning." So we all know we can go a, a day without sinning. We all, you know, we all can go a, a, a week without sinning. Let me tell you something: you can go a year without sinning. You can go a decade without sinning. No, we all got to sin every day. Where do you get that? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's telling that in context of your past. We have all sinned. Your past. He's not talking about currently. He said you, you know, in the new, in the old covenant, you had to do something to be good. In the new covenant, you're made good. I'm already good. <laughs> he took out my spirit and put a new spirit in me, and then put His Holy Ghost on top of that, and said, "Let me tell you something. I'm securing you a righteous life. Sin, to sin, you have to force against your very nature now of who you already are." Paul would write his letters, and he would say, "You're holy and called." And then he spent the rest of the letter rebuking them for their dumb thing. He said, What are you doing? You sleeping around and doing all those. He said, That's not who you are. You gotta change your identity. You gotta stop thinking that you're that old person. No, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It's time to be holy again. It's time to watch what we watch and be careful to what we listen to and how we talk and how we speak and how we dress. I don't want to go in the house of God and see nothing but cleavage. Amen. Why? Because there's a standard of holiness. We get that in the world. I don't want that. I'm saved. I want to live for God. Live like it. Dress like it. Talk like it. It's is good stuff. We got to be holy. We got to be holy. We got to be distinguished from the world. You know, Elise and I, we love... You know, after, after services, things like that, we'll probably do this tomorrow. We, we just veg. We like to watch movies. Anybody else a movie watcher? We're movie watchers. So here we are. We're at Tupelo. Tupelo is our nearest big city. It's about four, 45 minutes away. Tupelo, Mississippi. Because Hamilton ain't got no theater. Hamilton ain't got nothing but Mexican restaurants. We just opened our fifth Mexican restaurant. Pray for us. Send a Chick-fil-A our way in Jesus' name. <laughs> so here we're at Tupelo. We're tired. We just want a dinner and a movie, and we're going to relax. It's after conference. We just want a veg. Oh, man, the new James Bond, the new 007 movie was out. I was so excited, so excited. So we go to kids in mind we got some 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 tools that kind of help us know what's in movies because we're not going to watch a filthy movie we're not going to watch something that blasphemes the name of the Lord or, or drops an F word or, or or has nudity or sex or you know if, if, if adultery is ever implied even on the television it instantly goes off and we rebuke that spirit from even trying to enter our house the words not even mentioned around us divorce is not an option this is not the Bible we don't pay attention to that the holiness so we were over at the theater and we look it up, and the movie is clean except for one F word. One F word. That's it. And I'm going, you know, we can do this, and we can overlook it, and, 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 we can, and we'll enjoy this movie and this and that, and we'll just blank that word out. Don't worry about it. And then the, the second thought comes to me. What if somebody sees me walking out of that movie theater? What would that do to my standard? What would, do that, would, would that do that to my witness? Would that change things? You know, Billy Graham was standing in his pulpit today, and I said this last night. He had a pen. Billy Graham dropped that pen, and he said, oh, crap. We'd all go, Billy Graham? That crap's not a cuss word. But all of a sudden, we have lost a level of respect for him because there is a standard that we held him on. And the reality is this. That standard, I, I I don't have to live up to people's performance and people's expectations, but the reality is there is a standard. And they are watching us. I'm not leaving this church today and going to the local bar and saying, hey, let me get a couple drinks. Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a preacher. Give me another one of those. You have lost your witness. What are you telling a lost and dying world, and what are you communicating to the church of Jesus Christ that there is no standard anymore? No, friend, there is a standard, and it's in the BIBLE, and we've got to be different and distinguished from everybody else. Can I get amen? That's good preaching. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. How? In your word, in your conduct, in love, in spirit, faith, and in purity. Show people how to do it. I told it last night, Billy Graham, when he first started his evangelistic ministry, he said, guys, he sat down his team, he said, tell me what's the number one reasons evangelists fall. They begin to name off reasons, money, girls, you name it. You know what? Billy Graham then set parameters and said we would never do these certain things. You know what he did? He said, I would never enter a hotel room without someone going in before me to make sure there's no, no, no prostitute, no anything, nobody planted anything on me. I'm not ever going to be alone with the woman unless my wife is there. He never would do a counsel. So I don't care if the woman was suicidal and ready to kill herself. He would not meet with her. Why? He had a standard. Well, I can't believe he would do that. Where's his compassion? No, where that's wisdom. Wisdom. People come to us, you know, Pastor Brian, I just feel like, I feel like you're just supposed to mentor me. If a young girl tells me, and I say, let me tell you, my wife will help you. Well, I don't want to meet with her. I feel like I'm supposed to talk to you. Then you're not sent from God. Amen. What am I doing? I'm, I'm setting parameters up that are going to protect me from doing something stupid. And let me tell you something. It's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust your flesh. I don't trust your flesh because your flesh is prone to do dumb things, and we've got to crucify our flesh, and we've got to be wise and live holy. Can I get amen? Number three, be reconciled to God. Be holy, for God is holy. Number three, you ready for it? Say yes. Yes. This is written to the church and the world. The third message, the letter that God is writing through our life should be, God delights in the prosperity of his servants. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. Psalm thirty-five, twenty-seven. let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Oh, he's talking about money. I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, brother, money is the root of all evil. Where is that in the Bible? It says the love of money is the root of all evil. I said this last night. Money is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it that makes it good or bad. I can take money and go buy drugs with it, or I can take money and go build an orphanage with it. And if that's the truth, and money is amoral, and it's what you do with it makes it good or bad, then let me tell you something. God wants to give the church a lot of money. It takes money to run these lights today. It takes money to renovate this building. It takes money to do that. I sat down with the pastor last weekend as I preached before his service, before I preached at his service. He said, a part of the Assembly of God in Tennessee, they're exploding in a youth revival in the Assembly of God in Tennessee. He said, we need a camp. Let me tell you something. Camps these days don't come cheap. They're multi-million dollars. Who's gonna do that? Well, God just wants to meet my needs. That's the most selfish thing you can ever say. Why? Because if your needs are met, you can't be a blessing to someone else. He told Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Oh, I love it. Prosperity is about being a blessing. Pro- overflow is about being a blessing. Why? I got more than a How much should I, I, I feel called the Bible college? God wants to use me. I see, I, I see the grace on the life. I say, how much is it? Oh, college is expensive these days, especially private college. I don't think I'm going to be able to go. It's going to be about $30,000. Okay, let me write you a check real quick. How, how you spell your last name? Oh, there you go. What do you mean? I want to be a blessing to you. And there, uh, Lord, you do that to the world? I'm talking about tears, I'm talking about Jesus. I want your God. Amen. We talked the other day. There's a documentary out there about all these pro players. They went pro and got big, and they just began to throw their money away. They're in the clubs throwing $100 bills. Hey, I want to be in the streets of New Orleans while Mardi Gras is going on and say, hey, come over here. Let me be a blessing to you. What are you doing? Let me tell you about the Jesus I serve. What are you, you know you know what people are reading? They're, they're looking at their lives. They're, they're reading the letter. They're going, God loves me. Oh, that, wow. God loves me. That's amazing. But he wants you broke. <laughs> lives are preaching now you might be at the bottom today but don't stay at the bottom use the principles of god if you're not tithing brother i, I tithe in a heartbeat I, I, I don't you won't catch me not tithing why because i am going to connect to the blessing he said if you tie the open heaven over you and pour out the blessing let me tell you something the blessing's awesome he said in proverbs ten twenty two, the blessing of the lord makes rich and then he goes and it adds no sorrow with it let me tell you something i'm gonna be blessed and still have a great marriage because we, we got success all mixed up. We look at the George Clooney's and we look at the movie stars, and we look at the athletes. Oh, they're successful, but they've been divorced three times. That's successful to you? No, we got it mixed up. Their kids want nothing to do with them. Their kids in a rehab, all this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Let me tell you something. God wants you blessed, He wants your family blessed, He wants your children blessed, He wants you to begin to impact the world. He said, Abraham, through you and your seed, your family will cause the earth to be blessed. This is God's will. Can I get an Amen? amen. He delights in the prosperity of his servants, and people need to read your life and go, man. God is a blessing God. We saw this with Micah Wood, one of our, one of our uh, staff pastors, or one of the, the leader of uh, the RAMP School of Ministry. RAMP, Micah told me years ago, he said, you know what? My family, when I first joined the RAMP, they just weren't about it. I don't know about all this. I don't know about the RAMP. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know about all this. And he said, as I stayed the course and obeyed God, God began to bless my life. And he was talking about money. He said, when I began to get blessed, it changed the entire heart of my family. Now his family attends. His mom is a huge fan. His uncle has just just stepped down from a ministry position to get refreshed for a season. They're now part of a church. His whole family is getting transformed. Why? Because somebody saw that God not only loves me, but he wants to bless me. Amen. We love God, but we're broke. We don't stay broke. Start tithing, start giving, start giving seed. start saving money, start learning the principles of God in his word, and watch him bless you. Can I get amen? I got one more thing. I got two more things on that. Joseph, the Bible says that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. How did you see it? What did you see? You know what he saw? He saw, a man, that every time he gave him a job, things exploded financially. Blessing. He said, man, I'm going to put you over the business. Because everything you touch turns to gold. You know what he said? He said, I see that the Lord is with you. A wicked man noticed God was with him. Why? He was blessed. Listen to this. Uh, This this verse is amazing. Isaiah 61.9. All who see them, the people of God, in their prosperity will recognize and acknowledge that they are the people whom the Lord has blessed. (laughs) It's in the Bible, and I love it. I want people to look at me and say, God loves me. Okay, I don't have to be his enemy anymore. Enemy, enemy more. That's, that's what I teach my students. I say, if you mess up, just start speaking in tongues. They think it's all God. <laughs> if you trip, just fall out of the spirit state. a say, get up. Woo, this glory is here. If I fall off the stage and I lay down and fly for a minute, hey, I'm in the glory. All right, come on. Come on, Terry. All right. Number four. Be reconciled to God. Be holy, for I am holy. God delights in the prosperity of several. I got two more, this last two. Be in health. I can't tell you how many churches I go to, and if I give an altar call for sick people, 80% of the church will raise their hand. I need healing. 80%. Now I believe in healing, but I also believe in walking in divine health. It's just like sin. How many have gone a day without sickness? Well, if not, I'm going to have to pray right now. Then you can go a week. If you go a week, you can go a year. If you win a year, you actually go a decade. I heard a man say the other day, he testified, he was a man of God. He said, it's 40 years since I've ever got sick. 40 years. Well, brother, every time, uh, you know, the season comes, you know, sinuses come around every season. You know what you're doing? You just open the door to it. It comes knocking every season. Who is it? It's sinuses. Oh, come on in. It's about that time, ain't it? That's just, what, that's just the way it is, brother. Where did you read that? That's not in the Bible. The crazy thing about sickness is this. Sickness entered the world on the tail end of sin. See, sickness was never in the world until Adam transgressed the law, which means what? Sickness is connected to Sin. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, didn't just die for your sin. He went ahead and dealt with all the consequences and things connected to sin. And so not only did he destroy sin, he went in and destroyed sickness with it. You don't have to be sick. Well, I, you know, people live with stuff nowadays. I'm just used to it. I just got back pain. I just live. I'm used to it. Well, why do you need to be used to it? Why don't you just get healed? Well, you know, my eyes, they just get bad every year. You know, Kenneth Hagan, we, Pastor mentioned earlier, Kenneth Hagin, crazy. But Kenneth Hagan standing in the pulpit. He said, it's 1980. He go, in the year of 1955, in the month of October, on the 22nd day, about noontime, God came to me in a vision. And, start to, and you're going, this is an 80-year-old man who has a memory better than any of us in this room. Why? He stood on the B I B L E and he wasn't standing on the culture and what people told us about what the Bible says in Romans 8 eleven, he said he'll quicken your mortal body. Amen. Moses was 120 years old, the Bible said, and his eyes were not dim and his back was straight. Deal with it. He's 120 and he's not slouched over and he don't even have glasses. He's in perfect health. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It happens through the word of God. Caleb's 85 years old, and here he is. He's 45 years have gone by, and finally he gets to promised land. At 45, he was promised a mountain called Hebron in the promised land. He has to wander the wilderness until the time has been fulfilled, and all of a sudden they get to go in the promised land. And he's an 85-year-old man, and he looks at Joshua, and he goes, Moses promised me a mountain. Let me go get my mountain. He said, I'm just as strong today as I was then. 85 years old, he's saying, I'm just as strong at 85 than I was at 45. He goes to Hebron and whoops a bunch of giants. An 85-year-old man. How does that happen? God is shouting to the church. He is shouting to the world, be in health. It's God's desire. It's God's will. I don't want the lost looking at me and going, man, I don't know about this Jesus. They're always sick. They're always dying prematurely. I don't know about these Christians. No, 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 no. Our life needs to say, no, we're blessed and highly favored. Our lives need to say, no, 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 no. i tell you what. I've got a promise over my life that I will not die till I fulfill the purpose of God over my life. Let me tell you something. If this airplane is in turbulence and it seems like it's going down and the engine gave out, just stay near me, honey. This plane ain't going down as long as I'm on it. Amen. George Whitfield used to say, "One of the great evangelists of the first great awakening." He said, "I am invincible until I've done everything God's called me to do." It's time for the people of God to realize sickness can't attack you, sickness can't overcome you. Well, my dad died of cancer, my granddad died of cancer. we well, break the generational curse and say the buck stops here, and start a new lineage, and say, "As for me and my house, we will walk in health." 3 John 2, he said, Beloved, I wish above all things. God's greatest desire was two things. That you would prosper and that you would be in health. God's desire. Sickness is not God's will. Sickness is not what God wants on the account. God wants you well and not just healed. He wants you to walk in health. I want to show up to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they go, Brian, you never get sick. I don't know one time we've ever visited you in the hospital. I don't know, and this, and this, and all of a sudden, we're going, let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Are you with me? Last one. We're done here. Oh, I love this one. Let me finish on sickness. When healing is in the house, the people will come. You can't, you can't separate healing from the ministry of Jesus. Well, I don't believe in miracles anymore. I'm like, you don't believe in God then. Someone asked Oral Roberts one time, they said, I don't believe in all these miracles. He said, well, you will when you need one. I don't believe in all these miracles. Oh, yeah, you will when you need one. And the reality is God is still a healing God. And if Jesus Christ is the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever? Let me tell you something. He's still doing what he did 2,000 years ago. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just refresh your mind today when you get home from church and start reading them and say, Jesus is the same. He's still healing the sick. Can I get amen? amen? Last one, number five. Be reconciled to God. Be holy for I am holy. Pastor, we all right? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to the head of the house. I'm submitted, and I'm saying, all right, pastor, be holy for I'm holy. What was number three? Give it to me. He delights in the prosperity of servants. Be in health. Number five, get ready, get ready, get ready. Written to the church, have faith in God. Have faith in God. People need to read your life and say, man, they are a faith person. Now, faith people look weird. Jesus was a faith man, and he spoke to trees. He spoke to storms. He spoke to demons. Now, listen to me. He didn't speak with, with demons. He spoke to demons. Jesus spoke to a fever one time. It says he showed up at Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she was sick with a fever, and it says he rebuked the fever. The word rebuke means stop it. That's enough. He looked at a fever and said, get out of here. You, let me tell you, I'm about to blow your mind. Jesus never prayed for the sick. He only spoke to the sickness and watched it obey his command. Yes. See, these people, we bring up the sick, and we pray three hours over them just for healing. No, you don't even believe. You're convincing yourself. You're quoting all those scriptures and all that because you're just trying to convince yourself. The reality is Jesus was to say, blind eyes, open. He's a Lazarus, come on, let's go get some lunch. He hopped out of there and said, that guy. I'm about to go down here and get me some pita. Amen. I don't know what they ate, you know. Couscous. Middle East food. It's good. It's really good. Mark 11:22 through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. This is a Jesus word. For surely I say to you, if you say to the mountain, See, here's our problem. We're talking to God about our mountains when we should be talking to our mountains about our God. He said, if you have faith, you'll speak to a mountain. Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea. Oh, God, just do something about the devil. He's just on my back. And God's going, I've already done everything I'm ever going to do about the devil. He said, I said three words at the cross. It is what? Let me tell you something. Jesus already whipped the devil. He said he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. He triumphed over them in the cross. Let me tell you something. Jesus is victorious. We well, sing something in the Baptist church. Victory in Jesus my Savior forever. Who knows what I'm talking about? Victory. Jesus. Let me tell you, I'm not trying to get the victory. Victory was won 2,000 years ago. I'm standing my ground in faith saying the victory is done, and I enforce it. Have faith in God and start talking to stuff. Well, I'm always broke. Throw your checkbook on the floor and start speaking to it. I never get a job. Shut your mouth with whining and complaining and start declaring uh, revelation. I believe it's 3-4. Jesus opens doors for me that no man can close. He closes doors that no man can open. I'll be the best employee you ever had. I'll be a Joseph in the house. You start speaking those things, all of a sudden people just start knocking your door down. I want them people on my team. Hey, so, uh, you know, I saw that the Lord was with them. They ain't even saved. They will be though. Why? Because your life is preaching real good. Oh, this is so good. Jesus said, All things are possible to who? Them that, Them that believe. Let me tell you something. He wrote a blank check. Remember that movie years ago, blank check? You know what I'm talking about? All three of you. Blank check. All right, we're going on. Jesus wrote a blank check. You know what a blank check means? It means they signed the bottom and left the top blank. He said, Fill it in. Oh, I love it. Blank check. Let me tell you something. Jesus gave a blank check. He said, All things are possible. It's a blank check. Fill it in. All things. All things. What is that? Salvation of your loved ones. Debt cancellation. Brand new facilities. Brand new buildings. Bigger jobs. Raises. Bonuses. You name it. Nothing is impossible. But the only way to cash it is you got to do one thing. Just believe. He looked at JRS and he said, don't be afraid. Only believe. You know what's separating you from your miracle? Believe. You know what's separating you from darkness into light? Believe. You know what's separating you from your healing to this morning? Just believe. It's already done. He paid the price for you. Now, close with this. Let me get the musicians on up. Let me tell the story. Have faith in God. My my son, he's not here this morning. Next time I come, we'll bring him. My son was born with a club foot. It was it was the shock of our lives. Nothing was shown on the on the sonograms or or or, or the different tests they did, no forewarning, anything. Here we are. My wife carries him for nine months, and all of a sudden, boom, we get a brand new baby boy, and his foot is almost touching his leg. It's completely clubbed. It's a shock in my life. Doctors don't say anything. They just ignore it. They're just going to bring a pediatrician in tomorrow to talk to us about it. The Bible says something interesting. It says the righteous do not fear bad news. A man or woman of faith do not fear bad news. Why? Because they know what to do with bad news to turn it into good news. My wife and I would grab his foot almost nightly, and we would speak the word God gave me a promise before he was born and he said your children will not be born with sickness and disease. They will be born to cure sickness and disease. We grabbed his foot and we said in the name of Jesus you will be straight. We weren't talking to God about the mountain, no. He gave us the authority to talk to the mountain so he would speak to his foot. Doctor said he would have to have six castings, a possible surgery on his Achilles tendon, and he would have to wear a special boot that they made for him until he was four years of age. You know what? My son only had three castings. One of them was a mistake on the doctor's part. He had three castings. He had no surgery. He wore his boot for about nine months, and now it's just a reminder of the victory of Jesus. He is completely healed. He would be running all over this church this morning because God is a faith. God, and He does miracles. You letter... You're a letter. Well, I'm not preaching much these days, Brian. There's not many. No, no, no. You're preaching everywhere you go. He said in Corinthians, he said, you are the fragrance of Christ. They smell you. They see you. They're reading letters from your life. Be careful how you live. You might be the only Bible people are reading. And what are they reading today? Oh, we can go on and on. There are many more messages. Husbands, they need to read from your lives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, they need to read your lives. Love your husbands and respect them. What are they reading from our lives? When the world sees the church, are they seeing the letter that Jesus wrote to them? Be reconciled to God. Be holy for I am holy. Be in health. God delights in the prosperity of His servants. Have faith in God. These are just some of the many messages our lives need to portray to a lost and dying world. God is a good God today. And He's going to do good things this morning.